Welcome to the Co-Living Circle podcast. I am the host and founder of Co-Living Circle, the best marketplace to find co-living, and I have a very special guest, Leah Ziliak. Uh, did I say that right? You did. Good job. <laughs> awesome. I only practiced four times before to make sure I got it right. Uh, <laughs> Leah is a co-living consultant and has lived in a bunch of co-living spaces, and so really excited to have her on and uh, learn from her. And um, let's start, Leah. I feel like one of the most uh, interesting things is hearing how people got to co-living. Um, and for example, one of our previous guests, uh, Kate Mayaloni, was in fashion before that. Um, you started uh, elsewhere. Why don't you tell us how you got to discovering co-living? Yeah, kind of a roundabout way there. I, um, my background is in music business, actually, and, and hospitality as well. I went to school in Nashville and studied music business, and I worked with touring musicians for a long time, mostly booking bands and planning events and working with people on the road, trying to, to organize their tour. So I did that for many years, and then I worked on cruise ships for a while. I was an entertainment host, so hosting events and working with guests at sea, um, did that for a couple of years. And yeah, I kind of, I, working at sea is kind of a different thing. It's kind of its own little co-living community. And I really loved that part of it. It's um, usually about 1,500 crew members are working on board and it's all big international group. And so you kind of have this own little community that you form these bonds really quickly. And I just, I love the idea of traveling and living and working with a group of people. You just form these bonds really quickly and make these memories while you're traveling and going to these fun places. And I just, I loved that part of ships, but I knew that I wanted to travel outside of the Caribbean. So I uh, left the ships and then I, I was really still craving that sense of community and I wasn't sure I'd be able to find it anywhere else. And I went and I traveled for a couple of years, these past two years by myself. And I discovered co-living just because I was tired of being alone <laughs> when I was traveling and, uh, I had been by myself in London for a while and I had heard of co-living and kind of researched it a little bit and I saw that there was a space in um, Lisbon at Outsite. And so I just randomly booked a flight down there. I just wanted to check it out and it was, it was exactly what I had hoped it would be. It was, you know, you immediately jump into a group of people and it's this strong sense of community and at that point uh, it's more of a digital nomad space. So. It was people who were working and traveling at the same time. And it was just immediately felt like where I wanted to be. And it was, it was everything that I yeah, had hoped for in a space as far as community. So yeah, I met a bunch of people there and kind of went from there and decided that co-living is, is, was what I wanted to work in. So and, and what year was that when you first uh, lived in, co in the co-living space? Uh, I guess that was two years ago, almost two years. Okay. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. And yeah. so basically you are working in hospitality and you love that environment. And yeah. in some ways you were seeking, how do I replicate this without living like on the water for my life basically, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, working on ships is a, is a fun experience. You're living for usually six months at a time and then you get a few months off. So um, you just, you get to know people really well in a, in a short amount of time and yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to stay on ships for that reason. That was the reason. I love the job itself, but it was the people that I had trouble leaving that I was wavering on whether I should go back or not. And and yeah, it was very cool to find that co-living filled that space for me as far as finding that sense of community and among travelers, especially, that I thought was really cool. So yeah, 
did you know anyone who had lived in co-living beforehand or was it something that, like you said, you saw and you're like, I hope this is as good as it looks? Yeah, I no, I had never heard of it. I'd never met anyone who had tried it. I honestly just, I found outside on a website. I don't remember even how I came about it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm like, this sounds like a good idea. I wanted, I knew when I was traveling by myself that I wanted to try different ways of, of staying in spaces. Um, so yeah, I had stayed in Airbnbs for a little bit. I did some pet sitting, um, stayed in other spaces, and then I found this co-living space. And so I just wanted to see what fit and what worked as far as traveling for me. So yeah, it was really a great find. Yeah. So talk about your first experience in co-living and how that um, basically put you on the path to where you are now. That's, you know, really into the industry and consulting with companies on how to improve co-living systems and all that. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, this experience itself was great, but I felt like when I got there that I realized that all of my past experiences kind of fit in with what I wanted to do as far as, as consulting for spaces. I loved creating community. I loved creating events, hosting events and knew the onboarding process well as far as working on cruise lines the onboarding process is just it has to be spot on you have you know 2000 uh, member 2000 guests coming on board in a matter of hours you're flipping it over and getting 2000 more so um, that process of streamlining that and making people feel welcome right away is something that i had done before and that i loved and same with touring musicians having that community of people as travelers and trying to plan things remotely is another thing um, working with people from all over the place in different crews and bringing them all together so yeah it kind of fit it clicked with me that you know i'd done all of these things before and i had experience in different types of sectors not necessarily co-living but in different ways that sort of made sense to me that i could help enhance the guest experience as a whole by streamlining processes and working with onboarding and making the community what it, what it could be. So. Right. That's, I think that's, I think that's such a cool part of your story is because some of these things, and I mean, no matter where people come from to find co-living is um, you know, it's, it's from totally different places sometimes, but then just, just hearing about, you know, basically working on a cruise ship and, and touring with music artists, you sort of understand how that all funnels into co-living and whether it be just getting people like from the get-go providing a great first impression. And that's something that like it now it, it totally clicks. Like that's something that you've had to do many a times. So it's just something that's probably a natural path for you as far as the co-living part goes. Yeah. And I love, I love the co-living community as far as people that are working in it because they do come from all different backgrounds co-living hasn't been around all that long so there are no experts that have been doing it for 50 years or whatever right, right. so everyone comes from a different place and has has found it for different reasons and so you have a really interesting diverse group of people who bring different parts of it which which i love yeah, yeah. um so you you mentioned onboarding what are some other areas um that you like to work specifically with co-living spaces in yeah, I think onboarding is is pretty key. It's the first impression that you make. So making sure that that's a good one, making sure you have somebody at the door to greet you and show you around, um, making sure you know, you know where to get food and where to you know, get something to drink and how to be integrated into the community quickly. Those are kind of the key onboarding factors of what you're looking for whenever you come into a space. So 
just streamlining that whole process. And then along with that, the community engagement is kind of what I'm big on figuring out a schedule of events, if that's how your space works, or if not, how you get community involved to plan it. Some people have hosts on site and some of them kind of work on the community itself to, to plan things together. So what I like to do is to kind of automate as many processes as you can from the side of a, a co-living operator so that they can run things more efficiently and run things with their team easier so that they can focus on community. Um, so that part of it, as well as the offboarding process and making sure people leave happy and getting their feedback and maybe creating incentive programs or whatever it is that you need to get people coming back. I think the goal with co-living is whether it's short term or long term is to get them to stay for longer periods and to come back. So right. any way that you can do that by making the user experience as seamless as possible. I think um, we talk a lot about user user journey mapping and that that sort of thing. So just going through the whole experience from the time they decide to stay in your space to the time they get there, their stay in general, and then the time that they leave, making sure that goes as seamless as possible and implementing systems so that there are consistencies in your stay. Um, that's kind of the main part is making sure everything is automated as it could be where it can and creating consistencies so that it's the same experience for every guest or resident, regardless of, of who's working that day. Right. Um, two, two, I guess two thoughts I have. I, I don't hear my, many people talk about offboarding, but mm -hmm. I feel like that's such an important thing. And it's not just co-living, but even, um, you know, if, you, if you're working a job, how the company says goodbye says a lot about mm -hmm. the company um, or the person leaving the job. Um, and so I, I feel like that's uh, an extremely strong point there because like you said, um, if you leave a co-living space, you never know, you may come back at another point or um, you'll probably talk to someone else who may be in that vicinity, who may be interested in a co-living space. And if you leave on bad terms for whatever reason, all of a sudden that co-living space is not going to get the referral, right? So I think that's an amazing point you bring up. Um, go ahead. Did you have anything? Yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, the offboarding part of it is so important because you want people to have a good experience from top to bottom, you know, and to tell people about it because, and the more feedback you can get from them, the better. If there are things that didn't work, you want to know about it and you want a system that enables them to tell you about these things. Um, so to fix all the things that maybe didn't go so well and to create an experience where people want to tell everyone about it and want to come back. It's just, it's easier, it's much easier to retain guests or more cost effective to retain guests than to find new ones. So totally. um, yeah, just making sure people are happy with their experience and want to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, the other part I thought was interesting about what you brought up is there's, um, you know, as far as what process do you automate um, and what processes do you know is it best to be handled by a human um yeah. as far as onboarding goes mm -hmm. i think i think it's different for every space so i i would tell each space to sort of write out exactly what it is they do have a an operating procedures manual so that they can figure out exactly what it is in your day that isn't important that you can give away to somebody else so it's kind of different for every space i think I think the part, the human aspect needs to be the welcoming part. I think you, that you do need to have a human greet you at the door and show you around, give you a tour, making you feel comfortable because 
there's no real way you can give them all the information that you want and, and have, you know, video guides or whatever, but right. there's nothing that, that is, is a good substitute for having a physical person there to welcome you and make you feel like, like the space is, is yours. Right. So it's some combination of a human being and a, a welcome pack or something to that extent, right? Yes, yes. I mean, there are plenty of, of, you know, office managerial things that you can automate in your system that you can kind of get, take that off your plate and kind of focus on more the, the human aspect of, you know, what's why people are here is to have somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the first space you lived in was a digital nomad space. And mm -hmm. it seems like that's a lot of the roots of co-living, but that's certainly... Um, I feel like expanded over the last several years as we see, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different types of spaces. Um, tell me what, what, you know, your thoughts on the, on the different types of co-living spaces that are most interesting to you right now um, and, and, and the differentiation between them, between them. Yeah. So like I said, digital nomad spaces are kind of what I'm most familiar with because that's what I, I learned from the get-go. Um, so digital nomad spaces are meant for traveling workers. So people who travel full time and want a space to come together as a community and work. So a lot of them have co-working spaces in them or at least office space. And people tend to stay for, I think average stay is, you know, around a month or so. But there are spaces mostly around Europe that you can, I mean, there are other spaces as well, but where you can sort of hop into a community and then go to the next one. So people might stay at one for one month and then go to another, or they might stay for six months. It depends what, what they're up for. But um, sort of the key differences in between those spaces and the others is that there's a whole another sect of co-living and that's made for larger cities for a less expensive way to live in those cities. So there are lots of them popping up in, you know, Chicago, London, New York, LA, where people traditionally might, younger people wouldn't have been able to afford to live there. And so co-living serves as a way, an affordable way to live within a community in those aspects. So for those spaces, usually they're more longer term. Um, they might have a six month lease or a year even, um, depending on what you're looking for. But yeah, I'd say some of them, the digital nomad spaces are meant more for shorter term travelers and the other spaces are meant for more longer term living situations where people might have a regular regular type job. Right. And I think one of the interesting things that I'm excited to see in the next couple of years is how really niche co-living spaces get. Um, mm -hmm. There's one in Los Angeles that's geared towards creatives. Uh, it's called Upstart. And they, you know, have uh, musical artists, rappers, painters, actors, whatever it is. And, um, you know, and Kate Maialini's is basically geared towards entrepreneurs. Um, and so I feel like there's going to be so many different sectors of co-living. I'm not sure how many can exist or do exist right now. Um, but I feel like that's a huge area of growth. What do you think? I think so. And, and I've been talking to other professionals. It's just, it's in such a huge, it's such an interesting time to be in co-living because you know, it's going to be such a huge industry going forward. And right now everyone's trying to figure out what it is exactly and what it means, right. because it means a whole lot of different things. You can say co-living and you mean a hostel, you know, you can say co-living and you mean 
the collective, which is a giant space in, in London, and you, it can mean the digital nomad spaces. It means so many different things. You can't just say co-living and know exactly what it is. So right. um, it's, it's different for every space, which I think is just, it's interesting. And, and I think as it grows and as investors learn about it, um, a lot of real estate investors are sort of kind of getting more in the know of what co-living it is and seeing it as something they, they could, that's going to grow. And so I think, yeah, just kind of defining what co-living is and having the different areas of it are, is, is something that's going to change a lot over the next few years. Yeah, t- totally. And, and so I have two, two questions. Um, and we sort of talked about this when we talked uh, last week on the phone um, is really, you know, defining what co-living is and how, how does, for example, how does co-living differentiate from a hostel? Um, what, to you, what are the main differences there? Cause I, I feel like, um, for people who don't know much about the industry, that's exactly what co-living sounds like. And in yeah. some cases it may be, but in other cases it may be totally different. Yes. So as, as far as the difference between a hostel and, and co-living hostels are meant for full, for travelers, you know, people who might stay a night, might stay two nights, it's typically younger people um, you know in in most other co-living spaces you won't find the young backpacker type of people it's um it's young professionals people who have a career of some sort um, are passionate about they what they do but they want a different way of living so that can mean a lot of different things it can mean the digital nomad life where they're working remotely and you know craving community as they travel or it can mean living as a community in the city that they were already living in um, it's just creating different ways for people to experience experience life um so yes a lot of people use co-living in in different ways which makes it confusing as far as right. hostels in the short terms but i think as long as people are clear about what type of co-living it is in their space with their branding and their social media and the, those types of things that it people can use the word all inclusively so <laughs> we'll see yeah and and how do you and we, we touched on this as well um, do you think hostels are sort of repurposing their space at all for co-living, given that um, co-living just seems to be a better business opportunity? Yeah, I, I had stated, a, I had never done the hostel thing until the last like year or so. And I had stated one in, um, in Marrakesh and it was so beautiful and it was so, it felt like a co-living space, um, but it was really nice hostel. And I was like, oh, they could do so much with this, you know, if they mm-hmm. just changed it a little bit and made community activities more at the center, they could, it could be such a good space. And I think that a lot of co-living, a lot of hostel operators are, are sort of seeing that, that people come for the, the community aspect. Not only is it a, a less expensive way to live, but I think, yes, I think some of the, the, the bigger co-living uh, hostel operators will kind of transition and, and maybe make some changes to make it more co-living. Because yeah, it's it's more financially viable, and especially now with everyone sort of doing the slow travel thing and staying at lo- for longer periods of time, I think some of the shorter stay places will kind of fade out or change their business model to to increase stays. Yeah, and do you think there's any? Because the, the real differenti- differentiation seems to be mostly community based. Do you feel like mm-hmm. there's a large? Uh, difference between the spaces in general and and with a hostel of course uh, you're sharing rooms with sometimes multiple people but also in co-living there are certain spaces where you're still doing the same right 
Um, so is, is that really the core differentiator? If we could point to one thing is, is the community aspect of a hostel versus co-living space? Uh, I mean, it's the community aspect, but it's, it's the length of stay for sure. Um, mm -hmm. If you're staying in a hostel and you're only seeing people once or twice maybe, um, and you're, they're staying for shorter periods of time, it's a different experience. No one wants to, to live in a hostel. <laughs> right. It's just not an environment that's conducive to being productive and focusing. So I would say the biggest difference is that hostels are for travelers who have no intention of staying in that city for very long. And co-living is for people who have it as a lifestyle and they wanna be able to focus on their work. It's usually slightly older crowd, not teenagers who have a career of some sort and want it as a sustainable long-term living situation. Right, my, uh, my experience with this, so there's a, in San Francisco, a lot of their co-living spaces sort of are rooted in like hacker houses, right? Where mm -hmm. basically, I mean, computer geeks are programming, building all the latest stuff, right? And I, I was there for work and, uh, you know, an apartment was like 2,500 bucks per month. And I was like, I'm not down for that. So I basically went on Airbnb and found like a, a hacker house hostel. And it was really interesting that people were, I, I lived there for like a month and other people were living there for like six months. A couple people had, had lived there for years. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, I, it's, I don't think it's, it's meant for that. Um, but I think San Francisco is just a completely uh, different animal uh, on that front. Um, uh, so, you know, there's uh, obviously there's we're seeing a, a, a real difference in size of co-living spaces. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you said, it's it, co-living is very financially viable is what we're seeing in, in a lot of cases. Um, and so, you know, we have large ones, we have small ones. What do you think the large ones could learn from the small ones, um, given that there is such a big difference when living in, 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 in either? Yeah, I think in, in my experience, staying with the smaller spaces, there's just, there's such an authenticity about it. There's such heart because the people who are, are running it are doing it not necessarily to be millionaires, it's because they love it, you know, they love what they do. And some of them created the space because they couldn't find it anywhere else, you know, they were, they had experienced co-living and loved it and wanted to create something in, in a specific place. So um, I love that part of co-living and I hope that other spaces can sort of keep that in mind. Um, just the genuine connections and the genuine communities that you find in the smaller spaces I think that there's still a way, obviously, if you're living with 800 people in a, in a high rise, it's kind of hard to replicate that exactly. But I think there are still ways to sort of break out into clusters and have smaller bits of community within one larger space. So no one can, can learn, you know, everybody in that whole building. So it's kind of impossible if you're in a, in a huge space, but there's still ways where you can implement genuine, authentic connections and create events that bring people together in that same sort of environment. So, right. And how do you, what are some of the best ways do you think some of these really big, like star city or common that have these really huge buildings, what are some of the best ways that they can cluster people by? Is it by, um, you know, like uh, the, the wing of the space? Is it by room number? Is it by, um, you know, you know, uh, matching people based on what they have an interest. What do you think is the best way to actually get sort of some sort of smaller communities within these large spaces? Yeah, I think I think it's more about the event itself and creating 
creating different events that only appeal to certain people, you know, having events that are, I don't know, more, more directly targeting a certain group of people so that the, the people who want to find each other can and creating different ways to communicate within other people in the building, I think is kind of big as far as making sure the people who do have common interests find each other. If you're having a huge group of people, not everyone's going to have the same interests. So right. you know, whether that's, you know, being a foodie or surfing or whatever it is, yoga, people will sort of find each other in that way and by their common interests. So creating events that draw people in that are less, you know, you can have a, have a dinner party maybe at a smaller space where everybody comes, but you can't really do that with a huge space, but maybe you have something more specific, you know, uh, this or that so that it only draws in a, a, a smaller group of people. So I think that, and, you know, organizing events throughout the city too, where as you know, not everyone can work it into their schedule, but having something that, just a smaller group of people might be interested in. So, right. So make it more like interest-based um, so that the people who do have stuff in common can connect at some point in their giant experience in, in these places. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's i I'll, I'll give a shout out to Connor, Connor Moore on the last podcast we talked about. Um, he talked about architecture and how that affects community. And that was um, pretty eye opening there. Um, so you are right now in Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you're taking a little bit of a break from being a digital nomad. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what is that like for you sort of uh, pausing on being a digital nomad and how quickly do you think you'll be able to get back to doing that given it's September 10th and we've been in sort of this whole deal <laughs> for I think just about six months. Yeah, it's a crazy time to be a nomad, you know, I, I had been traveling full time without a home base and I was in London whenever lockdown sort of began and trying to make a decision. What do I do? Do I, you know, hunker down here or do I head back to the U.S.? So um, I ended up coming back to the U.S. where I grew up to um, spend time with my family and just sort of gauging where to go next. Um, I've sort of, I've really enjoyed this time because I've been able to sit and network with so many people in the co-living world that I might not have taken the time to do otherwise. So I've sort of just been taking advantage of the time that way and being able to make these virtual connections, although they might not be in person as I had planned. But um, right. yeah, I think, I think as far as the nomads as a whole, it's been really interesting to talk with friends who are doing it and where they all ended up. It's just everyone sort of just, you know, had to find something. So a lot of people just stayed where they were and they got an Airbnb. Um, some of the co-living spaces were able to stay open and some of them spent their lockdown in, in a space where maybe they had only planned to stay for a couple weeks and they ended up staying for, for six months. Um, I know a lot of people who are doing the van life thing. Um, so sort of stay having their own thing there. But um, yeah, I think whenever this all comes around, I think some of the co-living spaces are starting to, to reopen again, some of the ones that had shut down. So I think that everyone will come together as soon as they're able. Um, I talked to a space in Tenerife and she was already booked through the end of the year. You know, she was, wow. was finished because, you know, nomads want a space to go and they know what they like. And if they've been there before and they had a good experience, like, sure, like I'm good to, to book six months or whatever and, and stay down, especially during times like this. So I think people are going to see a lot longer stays, a lot slower travel. Um, whereas nomads might've been hopping around before and going from country to country. Um, now it's going to be, you know, much longer, slower travel, which is great for community and for spaces and having that, because I think it's important for, 
for to have those longer term stay options. So. Totally. And so you're, when, when do you think you'll, you'll get the opportunity to, <laughs> to press play again on the digital nomad lifestyle? Yeah, I, I know. I keep going back and forth on it. I'm, <laughs> as an American, there's so few places we can go right now. Yeah. Um, most of Europe is, is off the cards for us, but um, the UK we can go to. So I'm considering going back to London. I, I can do that at some point, but um, uh, Morocco just opened this past week, or I think it opens on the, in the first part of October, but I was speaking to the space that I stayed at last time, um, Sundesk, they are reopening in October. So, and for Americans, so that's an option as well. Um, yeah, just kind of gauging when it's safe to move. I know wherever I do go, it won't be hopping around like it, like it was before. It'll be staying in one space for a longer period of time. So I think that's okay to do now. Um, it's just a matter of deciding when to go and where to stay for that period of time. Right. And if, if you were to say um, the top three places uh, you want to go uh, co-live at, where would it be? And they don't have to be the actual place. You don't have to give them any you know, shout out. Um, but what cities do you want to go that you haven't been to yet? Oh, that I haven't been to yeah. yet. Um, next on my list, had I continued traveling this summer like I had planned, was to go to Nine Co-Living in Tenerife. Um, they have a really beautiful space there and I've heard such amazing things. So that, that was my next plan. Um, my top two places that I've been to already, Sundesk in Tagazut, Morocco, and Sun & Co in Javier, Spain. Those are both, those, are, those three places are the ones where digital nomads seem to go and seem to stay and go over and over and, and love. So those are my top three, nine I've not been to yet. Um, let's see, what else next? I wanted to go to um, Mokran House in Serbia, I believe. And then there's, um, in Serbia. Okay. And then there's coconut out in Germany. So, um, those are kind of ones that I had planned to go to this summer um, and kind of had to put a pause on that. But, um, yeah, there's so many great spaces as far as digital nomad spaces go in Europe. But I mean, now I, I've yet to experience some of the larger co-living spaces and in the U S so I would really like to tour some of these spaces as well. Um, you know, there's, there's Common and Ollie and, and Quarters and some of those spaces that I haven't seen yet. So I would, would like to see more of that while I'm in the area. <laughs> yeah. Well, for both of us, because I'm in Columbus, Ohio, we don't have a ton of co-living options. Um, but hopefully, and I think we both think that'll probably change in the next two to four years where cities that are not maybe New York or San Francisco, but cities like Indianapolis or Columbus or Cincinnati um, or Kansas City, that they have a growing presence of, um, of, of young, I mean, young people, old people, people who want to live together in intentional communities. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed on that. Um, <laughs> you went to the uh, virtual co-living hub uh, conference last weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I was too lazy to attend, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> what are your learnings from that and uh, things that got you really excited about co-living from that, uh, that conference? Yeah, I, it was such a great experience because I got to meet a bunch of people, virtually meet a bunch of people in, in such a short amount of time. And I guess the overall theme was just that co-living is going to take off. You know, a lot of people have worried that the pandemic, you know, co-living and the pandemic, they don't really go together, but but it really does when you think about it, because for one, remote workers is, is, is a huge, huge deal that so many people who didn't think that they could work remotely now can. So they're questioning, why do I live 
here when I can work remotely and live anywhere. And co-living right. offers that opportunity to very easily move somewhere else. You know, it's all done for you. All you have to do is, is you know, sign up and show up. And it makes living very easy if you want to move. And it also makes it easy if you want to move around and try different places and go to different cities. Um, it's just very simple that way. So I think the remote movement as far as, as working sort of cat catapulted, you know, co-living. They were talking about how it's, we're like five to 10 years ahead of, of where we would have been had the pandemic not hit, you know? And I think also with, with lockdown, people are craving community in a way that they didn't realize. They didn't realize how important it was to have that sense of community and have people around, um, you know, people, some people were locked down in, in a flat somewhere and not able to get outside or see people. And they're, they're like, I don't want to do that again, you know? Yeah. And so co-living sort of creates this, this area where even if you were in lockdown, you would still have a safe community to, to be in. So I loved just hearing that overall, hearing that over and again to all the speakers, just kind of reiterating that co-living is not, not hurt by this, that it's, it's going to see some huge growth because of it. And so that was really exciting to see. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I think we all saw from the short term, people really didn't know how this was going to affect co-living. Certain mm -hmm. spaces were probably much more affected. It, you know, totally reduced travel. So uh, for the first few months anyway, uh, I would, at least from what I heard, the industry did take quite a hit. Um, now there's uh, some companies that like Star City that reported really, really strong numbers as far as retention and whatnot. But I think, like you said, ultimately, this is catapulting it forward because of all those things you mentioned and with uh, remote work and not going to the office, you still need to replicate that socialization of the office, of the water cooler, and mm -hmm. you can't do that from home. And I think everybody, uh, including myself, who's mostly introverted, is sick of that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think you're totally right. Um, is there anything else we did not mention, Leah, that you're excited <laughs> about, you want to talk about? The floor is totally yours. Oh, goodness, putting me on the spot. No, I'm just, I'm just really excited about the co-living community. And, you know, I had experienced this space this before, but as, as far as right now and networking with people and meeting more professionals in the industry, it's got me even more excited about what it can be because it's just full of such passionate people and people who are genuinely excited about, about co-living and excited about spreading the word and talking to people about it and interacting with others and seeing how can I help you. It's a very social group of people. You know, people who are drawn to co-living are the kind of people who are great with people, you know, who want to yeah. talk and they want to socialize and they want to connect you with you. And it's just, it's, it's so interesting. It's not, not the competitive vibe that you would see in other growing industries. It's much more helping where, what can I do for you kind of thing, which I just love. And I hope that sort of, you know, like I mentioned, the, the heart and authenticity of co-living as far as community driven sort of stays with it as, as it grows, because it will, it's, it's inevitable. So it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is exciting. And, and we talked to Kaylin Heyman who lived at Haven Co-Living in Los Angeles. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things he talked about pretty, uh, you know, vulnerable, I can't even say that word, uh, vulnerable about was about, um, you know, just overall being lonely, depression, co-living really does make a difference in uh, helping you uh, go through those things. Um, exactly. And, and not just, I mean, it's loneliness too, but productivity is just 
huge when you're staying at a space with people who are passionate about what they do, even if, if it's not the same career path as you, people are, are excited about what, whatever it is that they're doing and they're working hard. And you can see that people can live these interesting lives with, you know, having all those events and things that they're interested in and, and still be passionate about what they do. It just makes you want to work harder being in that atmosphere. So I find that anytime I'm staying in a co-living space, I get way more done than if I were anywhere by myself, just because you're around people who are doing a lot of things. And it's, it's inspiring to be in that sort of space. Yeah. That, that spirit is definitely contagious. Yeah. Uh, it's like a bug. You can't run away from it. If you're with positive infectious people like that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Leah, this has been totally awesome. Uh, you've been such a great guest. We appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, if you want to hire Leah, uh, we're going to put her LinkedIn uh, in the in the show notes. Is there any other resources that you want us to plug? Um, no, yeah. If you just want to find me and connect um, on Instagram as well, the co-living consultants. Um, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Boom. We'll do that. Uh, thanks, Leah, so much. Thanks so much. <laughs>